Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. I knew something great was about to happen. That was the first date with my wife. My last date, too, you could say, with any other person. And I remember the day before we got married. And uh, just the anticipation, all of that work and energy going into this very special day. The moment where I chose to say yes to Alex for the rest of my life. And she said the same. And that's, that was absolutely amazing. But nothing would be pregnancy. Not that I was pregnant. I can't get pregnant. But my wife's pregnancy. Because there's nothing like looking at someone who's pregnant. At the first service, there's uh, Kristen Haswell walked in and she's nine months pregnant. And, and, and it's, it's like the anticipation. You know she's about to have a baby because she's about to burst. And seriously, people can predict that you're about to have a baby. They look at you and you turn to the side and they're like, you're about to have a baby. Yes, how did you know? It's a, you can't have a baby unless you're pregnant. Right? <laughs> And these psychics come out of, out of the woodworks telling everyone that your wife's pregnant. And obviously, we know I, the hormones have shifted and um, she's not the sa- same person that she once was. No, I'm just kidding. She was beautiful in it because she was sick the whole time, bedridden, so it was easy. Um, but pregnancy, it's like you, you can't, you just anticipate the arrival of this thing that becomes your son and, and it just changes your life. And, and, and there are seasons that we go through. There are times in one's life where we anticipate and expect something great is on the horizon. And as I come into this year, 2015, and as I think about the garden, um, about where we've been in where we are and where we're going. I think we're pregnant. I'm excited. I'm filled with such anticipation and joy um, about what is next, what is about to happen. And, and thinking about all of those things, thinking about um, the uh, the, uh, the, the, the dating to the, the pre, uh, to dating to pregnancy, the dating to the marriage, hopefully. And then, um, and then to the, the pregnancy. Uh, and, and what I've realized as I examine my own life is that the greatest things I've experienced in life come with the greatest sacrifice. The greatest experiences you'll have in life will come with the greatest sacrifice in your life. The hardest work, the most cost. And um, so I was thinking about that in view of this year and this next season. And, and I, you know, um, what I realized is that when you look in the scriptures, the context for miracles is always sacrifice. The context for miracles is always sacrifice. That oftentimes when you look at what God, when God is about to do something great in the scriptures, he calls his people to greatness. When God is about to do something extraordinary with his people, he calls his people to to extraordinary things. And, And the context for miracles of God doing something is always sacrifice in the scriptures. And so many of us, we want the miraculous. We want the amazing things, but we don't want the sacrifice and the commitment to the difficult things. We want the miracles without the hard work, the sacrifice. And so... That's something beautiful, because I think as the garden is about to prepare, and as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about you as the staff of the garden. 
So, so I know so many of you are new to the church and welcome. We're so glad you're here. But I feel like this conversation is really an insider conversation, meaning you, you belong to the garden. That means you are a priest of the garden. That means uh, you are the garden. That means you're, you're on staff as a minister of reconciliation. And the conversation I want to have today is, is less about what God's going to do in your life, but more about what God is doing in our life as a community. And as I was preparing the sermon, it was a, a particular scripture that I, I read and it struck me way back in July. And when I was doing my study break for the next season of, of ministry for the garden, this verse, this one particular verse stuck out. And I felt like God was saying that this is for our church for the next season of life. Um, and, and I want to bring this to you knowing that. And also I want to share for those of you that think I'm brilliant and original, I'm not. So everything that I preach on is taken from somebody else most of the times or some better theologian. Someone said it. So I just need you to know that. Okay? So if you think I'm original, that's my disclaimer. None of my sermons are original. Thank you so much. Except, <laughs> except for the stories. And those are usually the parts that you laugh at because um, they're usually about my feelings anyway. So um, <laughs> Joshua chapter 3. You guys with me this morning? I like the 1115 today. You guys are awake. We're here. You hear this clicking? Did anyone talk about what that is? We're doing like a time-lapse video thing uh, to do a video in a couple weeks for what it takes to set up and tear down this whole experience that we have. Is that cool? So some volunteers are doing that, and you'll, you'll get to see yourself. Oh, there I was, not paying attention to the sermon. Um, and I'll be like, there I was, the best side. And um, my back side. Okay, you guys didn't get that. Okay. Wah, wah, wah. Joshua 3. I'm going to read this chapter together. Nothing like reading a chapter in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, um, there are some up here. The words are going to be behind me on the screen. Joshua comes after Deuteronomy. So go to the very first book, Genesis. Go right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. You there? Joshua chapter 3. This is right before the Israelites um, cross over the Jordan into the promised land. It says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. And went to Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. I want you to highlight that. Talk about an amazing verse. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. and Do not go near it. The ark is the presence of God. It represented the presence of God with the people. And it, it leads out in front. And Joshua says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Garden Church, the verse that sticks out that we're going to land on to, to this morning. The verse that I heard in, in July was this verse for our community. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Is that, is that good news? Is there, do we get any awesome, any response? Let me, let me read it one more time and see if you guys are as awake as I thought you were. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That's really sad. Joshua <laughs> said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they, they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant 
When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and all the other ites in the land. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord, all, the Lord of all the earth, will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And listen to this. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed, completed the crossing on dry ground. A whole chapter in the Bible we just read. How great is that? Joshua chapter 3. This is an amazing story of what... God did um, with a new generation. Now, how many of you have heard a similar story in the Old Testament? Does this story sound familiar? It sounds an awful lot like um, what happened in Exodus, right? Remember the guy Moses? Moses was this great epic leader um, who, was del- who delivered Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, Moses was a man who brought signs and wonders to the power of God. He confronted Pharaoh um, with signs and wonders. And the, the biggest sign of them all was the story of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And, and so in this particular case, the Jordan sounds a lot like the Red Sea, but it's not. And Joshua is not Moses. And it's a completely different generation. But also, there's an added element to this particular story. And that's what we need to know is that Moses was the greatest leader of them all. And, uh, and now there's a new leader and a new generation who's leading them into the promised land, the land that was promised to the generation before. And so what we need to know about Joshua in this particular story is that Joshua is the new leader. And the way the book Joshua begins is with this in verse chapter two or in chapter one, verse two. It says this. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, then you will you and all these people get uh, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them and to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. And what we need to know about Joshua is this, that Moses died. And Joshua is confronted with not, no longer being Moses' aid. Joshua was simply Moses' assistant. And now Moses is dead. And this is absolutely important for the story of where this goes from here. So Joshua is no longer the aide. Joshua is now the leader of the nation of Israel. And Joshua doesn't know life apart from Moses. Joshua doesn't have a faith apart from Moses' faith. He doesn't know if God's going to be with him like he was with Moses. He was there when Moses touched the staff into the water and the waters parted. Then the Israelites walked through. He, he's never seen God do this. In fact, if you were Moses, you know, 
Sorry, if you were Joshua, you would probably be bargaining with God at this point because the command is to set his foot into the waters, then the waters will part. And Joshua, or if you were, if I was Joshua, I would be like, time out, God. That's not how this story goes, right? That's not how it works. Because if you were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, you would, you have heard the story over and over and over and over and over again by Moses. I guarantee it. Right? Because Moses would say, we walked up to the water and I stuck my staff in and the seas parted and we walked across. You would have heard that story over and over again. People would have been telling you and you would have been like, I was there. And so there you are with another body of water and God says, you got to stick your foot in there. And you'd be like, no, I don't. You can part it. Then I'll go. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've already done this before. That's no longer faith for you. Because what was faith for you yesterday is not faith for you today. And what will be faith for you tomorrow is not the faith that you have today. And so Joshua is confronted with this new element where he now has to decide and act on whether or not God is a God of his word. That God will follow through with being with him as he was with Moses. And what's interesting about that, if you read Joshua's story, chapter 1, I love it. Because Joshua becomes this epic militant warrior that just takes over the the, the promised land. And and what's interesting is God gives the promised land to Israel, but they have to fight every inch of the way for it. Right? Some of us think it's going to be easy. We have to fight for the things God gives us sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so so there's Joshua and, and Moses dies. And the very next thing that God says to him is, over and over and over and over and over again is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous for I am with you. Why did God say to Joshua over and over and over again, do not be afraid and be strong and courageous? He was afraid. Yes. Great. Good work. (laughs) We have two people with us. I heard it back there. Good job. Well, all of that biblical research that I did, that was easy freebie. You guys figured it out. But the point is that Joshua was afraid. And this was a moment where he had to decide that his faith would be his own, that he would own it, and that the faith he had yesterday wouldn't be the faith he needed for today. And oftentimes we do this in our life. We think that there are stories in our lives where God moved in miraculous ways. We, some of us, have had radical experiences where we got to connect with God in a certain way. And then we live our lives thinking that he's going to do it again like he did it then, only to recognize we're living on the past experiences with God. There's no fresh fire. There's no fresh experience with God. We're no longer risking anything because we already experienced his faithfulness when we risked back then. And now he's saying to us, put your foot into the water. And so many of us, we've just become comfortable with the old story. We've experienced some type of success already. We've experienced life in the kingdom and we've come up for prayer once or twice. Or we've prayed for a couple people or, you know, we, we risked 10 years ago and it paid off. And now we've become comfortable with our lives. And, God, and we think that we're living a life of faith. And God's saying, get your feet wet. I'm about to do something amazing. And as I was preparing this, this, this uh, sermon, I was just recognizing that for me, and what you see in the Old Testament is you see more commands to remember than to actually do something. Because we need to remember what God did yesterday to fuel the faith for tomorrow. 
That when we remember the faith we had, it becomes the foundation for, and, and the fuel for what's next. So we got to recall and remember what God's done so that we live differently today. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, okay, so when I was 18, I started, or I was 19, and I started, uh, I took a class with a guy named Bill Doctrum. Do you guys know him? He preaches on Sundays. He preached last week. He's one of our teaching pastors. And uh, in a class, he, he challenged the class to, to, it was a spiritual disciplines class, and we had to journal every day. Or once a week or something like that. But he encouraged us to journal every, every day. And so I began this discipline of journaling. And what's fascinating about keeping a journal, which I have tons of journals in, and I recommend this for everyone, uh, to journal. Why? Because I began to write out my prayers. And probably like some of you, I'm not really good at praying in general. But when I started journaling prayers, they, become, they became alive. And I remember praying for silly things like a girlfriend, and eventually I got that, so God answered that one. Uh, I remember, and, and I wrote it down. God gave me a girlfriend on, on April 19th, 2004, when I took Alex out on the first date. I remember, and I wrote it down in my journal. And then I remember praying for, like, financial problems I had. I couldn't afford books and stuff. And then eventually I got a job, and then I had money to buy books. So I realized God provided money through a job. Has anyone had that happen to them? Is anyone else thinking... God did amazing things that way. Okay, but then like serious stuff, like miracles began to happen and I would record it in, in this journal. And, and, what, and, and what happens over time is you remember, if you, if you keep track, what God did in your life so that when you're faced with a current reality, you can draw upon those experiences where God did provide a way out and say, God, let, let me pray off of that. Let fuel that. I remember when you did this, your scripture says this, and it pushes you into the future. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember when Alex and I got married and a year into our marriage, she got a heart condition. And uh, if for anyone that's lived with health crisis or health conditions, um, one person just had an asthma attack in, in, during worship and the paramedics took her away. She's doing okay. But you know that you could be in an ordinary moment. All of a sudden it's crisis. It's crazy. Life is, is thrown at you. There's anxiety. There's stress. There's tension. With Alex's heart condition, uh, if we were driving anywhere, we needed to map out where the nearest hospitals were. I remember having all this anxiety about being away from her, not knowing if I can get there in time. I used to sleep with car keys in my pockets in case she had a condition, and we had to rush her to the ER. I remember praying, prayer after prayer after prayer, God, would you heal this condition? I remember being that guy, every single journal entry in that season of our life for a few years was about that condition. And that was like a gray cloud over our life because if we wanted to take a flight somewhere, we had this anxiety and fear about that thing happening again. And then the medical bills come in and then your prayer life is about the medical bills. And then I remember one day it stopped. She was healed. And all of a sudden the medical bills were paid off. And over time, the stress of, of driving long distance, distances, it was gone. And getting on a plane, we, we don't even think about that condition. And so there are times where we get stuck in our lives. We might get a cold or a flu or we might start complaining. And what those that live with health conditions realize that there are times where you pray for one good day. And then when the day comes, you've got to rejoice. You've got to remember that he provided that day. And then when it's completely God, gone, you've got to remember that God provided for you. Because you will forget. Because we are forgetting people. And when we think about what God's about to do, we've got to remember what he's already done. We've got to build up our faith for what's next because what we needed for yesterday is not what we need for today. And brothers and sisters, as the garden, it took a lot of faith to get here, right here. It took a ton of 
faith for a lot of us to get right where we are. Just look around the room. Real quick. This is the one, one of two services, 11.15. I want you to see this because every time I see church on Sunday, I see a miracle of God. Because I remember being... 22 on a train in India, living in Newport, dreaming about a day, this vision of planning a church in Long Beach. And I remember writing things like, what if we did house churches where, where uh, people that don't have enough share with those that ha- have enough and homeless people are, are taken off the streets and, and welcome into our community. I remember dreaming about a church that would live out the gospel. They wouldn't just talk about it on Sunday, but every day they would just embody it. And when I look around, when I hear the stories, it's happening. It's happened. But to get from there to where we are took us so much faith. I remember when we said we're going to do it. In fact, that was the hardest jump for me. To to put my foot in the water was saying, all right, we're going to plant a church. So we had to move to the city. To get to the city took so much energy and faith. And then we got here and there were five of us. And we're like, all right, someone's got to teach. And that took even more faith. I was terrified to get in front of people and preach. And for those of you that were there... It's a miracle that you're still here. (laughs) Any amens? Okay, we're good. (laughs) It took a lot of faith for people to stay. Truly it did. We had no idea. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. In fact, Jerry, bless his heart, he's 84 years old. He was the first one to open our home to us. And we started meeting there, doing leadership stuff. And he just told me at the first service, he's like, I remember talking to Jody. You guys, this is going to take a miracle or an act of divine intervention for this thing to work. I loved it. Yes. It's a miracle. And, and for me, it was, it was this, the, I had to have faith to step out in this horrible fear that I had, which was I had to preach. I'm not good enough. I can't. What if they don't like me? All this blah, 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 which is still insecurity at its best, but tons of fear. And I remember going to different places uh, before we f- officially launched. I would go to get prayer. Uh, in, in gatherings where they prayed for people up front. And, and I would go to gatherings, um, and, and if they called anyone forward for anything, I would go forward. <laughs> uh, there's a woman here who's got a bad back, and you're in your 50s. I was up front. I need the prayer. <laughs> True story. I mean, every, and then everywhere I went, uh, Mike Pilavachi was one of them. He did the Moore conference we did in October. Uh, every single person, there were four different pastors that prayed for me and said the same dumb thing. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous for God's with you. Why? I was terrified. I'm like, oh my gosh, God's real. He's saying no. They could just see that I was timid and scared. But that gave me the faith to step out and speak. And the, and the, the biggest thing for me, and I think for our community, when we started this, once we got going... Um, it was, it was this, this thing. We wanted to be a church that was led by the Spirit. We wanted to be a church that would be Spirit-led. And um, that was terrifying. I had grown up reading the Scriptures, knowing the Bible back and forth. I grew up studying theology. And then I experienced the power of God and, and the Holy Spirit. And I said, I want to be a part of a community that will embrace the gifts that will pray for people, that will call people forward to accept Jesus, that will pray for miracles, that will, will prophesy, that will heal the sick, that will cast out demons. I want the Corinthians church where the, the body ministers to itself. And I had no idea what to do other than just try it. And I remember we brought John Peters out the first year. 
we did empower. John is the pastor in the UK at St. Mary's. And I remember him coming out. And you can ask my wife. I was stressed out of my mind. I, I was like, all right, we're done with the church. This is going to happen. Everyone's going to leave. Because what I experienced was everyone was cautious about the spirit. They're all, everyone's afraid. They're, oh, we've got to keep order. And, but what you see is that most of those churches aren't really alive. And forget those churches. Our church, I wanted to be full of the Spirit, and I didn't know how to do that. And so John comes out, and, and he just talks about his experiences and what he did. And I remember um, being so full of anxiety and fear, thinking, this is, I'm done. I'm going to fail trying to push our church to go and lean into the Spirit. It was horrible. Anxiety, panic attacks, the whole deal. It was the worst experience for me. <laughs> and then we had John and Chris, the worship pastor, come over. And, um, and then there was another John, the guy who was speaking today. Uh, he's an elder. John Rosine and his wife, they came over to our one-bedroom apartment. We had dinner. Next thing I know, we're praying for, for John and his wife, uh, uh, Rosine, who's part of our church, the elder. And next thing I know, John's on the floor crying hysterically like a little baby. And um, just tears everywhere. He's rolling on the ground like with, with joy and pain at the same time. He's speaking in tongues for the very first time. His wife is absolutely terrified. She's never seen anything like it. I was like, what the heck is going on? And I, I knew it was like, okay, this God's got to be doing something. And, and as he speaks in tongues and it goes on, I end up leaving him and dropping off this John Peters and Chris. And I came back and John's on his back, tears, our furniture's rearranged. And he's just saying, he's just saying, um, there's so much love. There's so much love. John was given a word of knowledge that brought so much healing to his past about his father that it changed his life forever. And that was the story that began our first experience with, we're going to go for this. And it was this comfortable, safe leader, John, who got rocked by the power of God. And his, his humility in that, going, I don't really know, and that led our church to become a spirit-filled community. It took so much faith to do that. But it took all of our faith to get us here. I, I can tell you stories of Alan and Nessa, Greg and Eileen. I can tell you stories of Daniel, of, of Zach, of Roger and Luis, of Jerry and Jody. You see the church of Josiah and Merritt. The church is built on people saying yes and having faith together to go where we're going next. And those were some serious leaps for us. We have seen some serious provision and miracles. But where we're headed is going to take more faith than ever before. It's going to take more of us jumping in, remembering what he did, but beginning to move forward on what he's doing. Every step of the way took some type of faith in my journey, in our journey. And, and I've known, I know so many other stories. So what does this mean for us then? What is next for the Garden Church? Where are we headed? Well, I just have to say, um, something is on the horizon. Something is coming. And I don't know how to say it other than that. I see amazing things ahead. And so many of us, we, whether we've been here for five years, three years, two weeks, some of us are just waiting to dive in. We're just, we're just kind of on the outside and, you know, we're, we're waiting to jump in. And, and, and I just have to say, if you're waiting, you're going to miss out. If you're comfortable waiting, you're going to miss out on what God is doing in this season. You see, I, I think people are called right now in this season to jump in, to give, to, to join community, to participate, and, and to build what's coming next. God is, is leading the garden into the waters, and I, we have to decide, you have to decide, are you going to go in? 
Are you going to get your feet wet and be responsible for this next season of the church? I can promise you where we are going, we have never been before. I promise you that. And we will know when we get there because we've never been there before. How great is that? But it's going to take every single one of us to say yes and get wet so that we can cross the waters together. I remember asking Alex to marry me. And she doesn't remember this because she doesn't remember any of the things that I said when I took her to that spot on the beach and wrote this beautiful epic sonnet and poem and love song. Just kidding. I didn't do all that. But I did write, I did write a speech. And in the speech, I said something that was familiar to her. I said, look, I can't, I'm, I'm called to ministry. I can't promise you a house that will ever own a house. I can't promise that we'll make lots of money. But I, will pro- I promise you adventure. Because following God leads you on the most adventurous life. And I was thinking about the church, and I just said, I realize in my leadership and the leadership that we currently have with our elders and staff, I can't promise, if you're looking for a church, I can't promise you that we'll have our own building one day. So if that's what you're waiting for, I can't promise that. I can't promise that we'll be comfortable and cozy and safe in a different neighborhood. Some of you are thinking that. I can't promise that. But what I promise is adventure. What I promise is this is going to get wild and crazy, but it's up to you to decide that you're coming with us. You see, what's interesting about the story and about the church, as I talk to you as staff, is that this won't happen if only a few of us decide. It will only happen because all of us decide. Listen to what verse 5 says. What's next for the garden? Well, this is the verse I want to present to you for this next season of our ministry as we think about spiritually preparing and and preparing as a community. But I want to invite you into this in your personal life. It says this, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among, among you. The story reveals that everyone was going to go through the waters. They had to decide for themselves To consecrate themselves. Consecrate means to set oneself apart for a sacred endeavor, a sacred journey. To to set oneself apart, to make oneself holy for a specific task or purpose. Consecrate yourself. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. The way they did this in the Old Testament is they would bring animal sacrifices to cover their sins and to cover their impurities and their unholiness. And we know that Jesus died on the cross once and for all for all of that unholiness and impurity and sin. In fact, um, the way that the Apostle Paul and, and Peter and John write to the churches, they never call them sinners. They call them saints and holy ones. And so theologically, we have to understand we are saved by grace, that we are saved by the cross, that there's Nothing we could do to earn more favor, more love, more blessing from God um, than we already have. But, so that's, that's theological. But also, he invites us into something bigger, something greater, to live a holy life. To live a life set apart for a specific task and purpose. And I have to say, that our generation, particularly, and and the church that I've seen is very comfortable living in God's grace, but they mistake God's grace with God's pleasure and favor. We, we love God's grace and we continue to live our lives with habits and patterns and, and thoughts that are outside of what God, God desires for our life. Now, we can't earn more favor when we change those habits, but, but what God wants for us is something far greater than living in those things, that sinful life. 
Some of us need to give up alcohol. Some of us need to stop sleeping around. We're not married yet. It's designed for marriage. Some of us need to use our finances with a budget and not stop spending more than we make. Some of us have dietary habits that we need to break. Some, we have all sorts of sin in our life, things that are not what God desires for our life. And so you have to decide, will you consecrate your life? Will you consecrate yourself? Will you set your life apart? Pursue holiness, which is not for specialness. Holiness is for functionality and usefulness in the kingdom. Will you be set apart for what God's about to do? Will we as a community say, we're no longer going to live in the gray lines. We're going to actually stand for what God says is pure and holy. And we're going to pursue that way of life, that alignment with life. We're not going to throw our liberties in people's faces anymore. We're going to embrace the lifestyle that calls us to something great so that we can see him do great things. <clears throat> Will you consecrate yourself? Because the context for miracles is always sacrifice. If you want to see the miraculous, then it's about commitment to sacrifice. A commitment to pursuing the way of life that God calls us to. I want to call our church to consecrate itself. This season of life as a family, you as an individual, you and your family. What does it look like for you to set yourself apart? For a sacred endeavor. Bill next week is going to talk about how holiness is really about usefulness in the kingdom. And this is a theme that just sticks out to me. Because I want to see great things. I want to see thousands and thousands and thousands of people, millions of people come to know Jesus. This generation. I want this generation to rise up and change culture. Not by making Christian movies. <laughs> Or just Christian music. But by Christians being in the industry and living out a life that is set apart for a sacred purpose. Every industry there is, Christians need to set themselves apart and live on mission. And that's what this season is about for us. God's about to do something great. Will you cross the waters? I want to ask you to have a real faith this season. Not an intellectual faith, or as I told the last service for some reason. A hipster faith. I don't even know what that means. It just came out and then now people are saying write a book on it. I'm like, that's the last thing I want to write. I don't want you to have a casual faith, a Sunday faith. I just desire more than anything for this community, for you as an individual to have a dedicated life to Jesus where you just say, everything is yours. My family, my dreams, my job, my hobby, my car, my house, my stuff. Everything is yours. I want to live for you and with you, Jesus. Because if we can do that, we're going to see great things. We will become an unstoppable force in our, in our culture and world today. And so, as we step into 2015, at, into a church... I want to invite you to, to step into the future with me. A future that can't be shaped by organization, by planning, by strategy, or even our ability to finance it. I want to be a part of a future that is miraculous. That makes no sense. But we did it together. And so I'm going to cross the river. I'm just wondering who's coming with me. Who's going to come with me this season? Because we need your faith to build for tomorrow.
And so I'll end with this. Consecrate yourselves, Garden Church, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Shall we pray? Jesus, Lord, I just thank you for an opportunity, Lord, to to set ourselves apart in this moment and that your spirit works in very tender ways at times. So I just want to pray for those of you that are living with habits that you know you need to stop. Sin is what it's called. Whether they're thoughts, whether it's addiction, whether it's just chronic lying or various substances that you need to release. I want to invite you to repent. And repentance is not a shameful thing. Repentance is, is a very hopeful thing in the Jewish context. It's just you, you're aware of some new information and now you have to change your mind or you need to change directions and live differently because of that. And so for some of us this morning, I want to invite you to repent. Honest repentance. To go to the cross and just say, God, I missed the mark. Thank you for your grace. Would you help me set myself apart for your sacred uh, endeavor? So some of you, that's it. Also, I have been feeling that there are things being placed in so many of uh, your hearts that are callings on your life. It's a calling to ministry. It's a calling to a business endeavor. It's a calling to a new season of life. Maybe you're in a transition. You've been successful in business or you've had a job and now you're transitioning. I feel like God's doing something in our community in this season to, uh, where we're going to have to step out in faith. We're going to have to put our feet in the water. And, and the old story was, you know, you touch the staff. The staff touched the water. And we walked across dry land, but this one's going to take you stepping out and getting wet and watching God show up because that's what the faith, the faith that you need today. So for some of you, I want to invite you to come forward and respond that way. Just to come forward and say, God's calling me to do something. And we want to pray a blessing over you. At the last service, somebody said um, they're being called to plant a church. And, and they feel called for two years to prepare and start a church in two years in Northern California. And I want to bless those dreams, bless the dreams that are in people. And so if that's you, we just want to bless you with that. Um, so can we pray for those things? So Lord, I just bless my brothers and sisters. May we be stewards of the words you've given us this morning and, and build our lives around them and respond accordingly. I pray for courage and strength this season. To not be afraid and to move out because you're with us. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.